Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, Managing Cultural Diversity, the Windy Curve. In today's cast, we talk about Manager Tools' first principle about managing directs from different cultures based on the Windy Curve. Here we go. We get a lot of questions at conferences, um, in, in email and on the forums as well, but these questions have a commonality, and they're all around managing directs who have different cultural backgrounds than the manager. How do I manage my Indian technology experts, or not Americans, but overseas? How do I handle the lone American on my team? You know, right. really, can he deal with consensus culture, or, or is he going to just be a bull in a china shop? You know, or how can I reduce the chances he's a loose cannon? You know, will my German right. employee be rigid and require rules? How can I get him to open up? Yeah. Shouldn't I be managing differently based on where my employees are coming from? How do I address the cultural differences between us? We get tons of these kind of questions. Yeah. Look, the consulting and the management advice and business press industries have really supported, frankly, encouraged, and in a way, probably caused these questions over the past 20 years as the, as the workforce has become more global. You know, and it made sense to become aware of cultural differences. And frankly, it's a nice start to this. People are saying, okay, how do I be respectful? I mean, how are they going to be different? And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to step on myself. I want to be respectful. And it boiled down to how can a manager be most effective when managing a culturally diverse workforce? And unfortunately, the business press and many, many, many companies and industries got it wrong. How can that possibly be? They're so smart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what are we going to talk about today and how are we going to correct some of these mis- misperceptions caused by these? Folks? You know, we never know how long our casts are going to go, really. I mean, some of them seem to go shorter or longer, depending upon the additional information or the interesting questions, you know, that we ask each other. Uh, I suspect this one is going to be a little bit longer, but it may not be. It may just be a one-parter, but I want to go take a minute and go through the outline uh, in a little bit more detail than we normally do. First of all, the first point we're going to make, we only have four major points, but uh, it's the fourth one we really get into, or the third and fourth one we really get into specific recommendations. The first one is cultural diversity cannot be reduced to a series of anecdotal comparisons. One of the biggest problems we've got is people having met one Asian person or one uh, a person from another country or one female engineer for that man- manner and, and then said, well, my anecdotal experience suggests this, right? And so therefore, this is true. You know, my experience is truth. Going back to the old, we don't see the world the way the world is. We see the world the way we are. And you can't do that. It, it doesn't work that way. Cultural diversity is more complex and more simple than that as well. This cast introduces something that Wendy and I have been talking about for a couple of years now called the Windy Curve. And basically, the Windy Curve shows us that individual diversity trumps cultural aggregation. I don't call it cultural diversity. I call it cultural aggregation. In other words, we're going to manage all Indians the same way or all French the same way or all men the same way or all women the same way or all 25-year-olds the same way. And hopefully when people hear that, they just recognize the inherent falsehood of the idea of managing any individual based on the group they were in. I mean, frankly, there are laws passed against that, and yet somehow we've – 
led people to believe that that's the way to do it. Now, look, look, to be fair, people in this industry would say, oh, no, that's not what we're saying. We want you to be respectful of diversity. But they don't provide any details, and they suggest when you you know when you work with an Indian uh, technology specialist, for instance, you should recognize that they tend to be more collaborative. Well, that's just not true in, in a significant way because you may be dealing with an individual who's not terribly collaborative. And, and so the Windy Curve says basically any difference between groups is fairly slight, if not almost non-existent. And even though it might be statistically significant, it's always or virtually always going to be less than the dif- difference between two individuals from those two groups. And it's the individual differences that matter. Which brings us to our third point, which is managers have to learn. We have to learn how to manage the individual as opposed to their cultural background. Any person uh, based on their age or race or gender or creed or color, anything else who has ever been discriminated against because of their group knows exactly why manager tools recommends that we say manage the individual rather than the cultural background that individual is from. Nothing wrong with respecting their background. Certainly fine. Um, nothing wrong with respecting that some people have kids at home and some people don't. That's not cultural background, but it is a difference between people, between employees. But the key is you've got to manage individuals rather than thinking, I can get by. It's a little bit easier. It's a managerial shorthand. It's a, it's almost a silver bullet for me to manage based on the fact that she's from France or, you know, he's over 50 or, she's a female chemical engineer, which is particularly rare, let's say. And then the question is how? And we'll actually be fairly brief here, and that's why I'm spending more time in the in the this overview, um, because we're we're trying to make a key global point here about a fundamental failing of the managerial guidance industry around cultural diversity versus individual diversity. And the answer to how is you just simply have to get to know each one of your directs. Nothing wrong with being aware that somebody is from France or Belgium or South America or Chile or Japan or America or North Dakota, for that matter. Nothing wrong with being aware of those differences. But uh, the idea that you would tell somebody, well, I'm managing you different than everybody else because you're from North Dakota and nobody else here is. The North Dakotan says, what? I mean, really? Is this what it feels like to be discriminated against based on your impressions of what you think I might want to be like or behave about based on where I'm from? So what we recommend is you get to know each one of your directs individually. And what does that mean? It means conducting one-on-ones. If that sounds like old-fashioned stuff, folks, you know us. Good management is boring and unsexy and unpretty and repetitive. And one-on-ones work to get to know your people. It's the most important tool we recommend. We also recommend you provide and share disk profiles, which are a great way for managers to get a really insightful look beyond just some stereotype or prejudice about an individual in their background by actually asking the individual, how do you tend to behave? And then managing that person based on how they tell us they tend to behave, how they want to be communicated to, how they want to be led, how they want to be managed. That's what the disk profile does for you. That's probably a little bit longer detailed outline that we normally give. So yeah. I apologize for that. More detail than normal, but for those of you who want the five minute manager tools cast, there you have it. There it is. <laughs> there yeah. it is. Yeah. And look, we 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 agree. I think you and I agree that there are some people who like that. We think they're missing something. Otherwise we do all five minute casts. We think there are underpinnings of this that make a difference in terms of the subtleties of making these choices. And that's why we'll go through them in detail. And we want people to understand it. And we don't want 
a manager or, or even an individual contributor listening today to become a manager and then become an executive or an executive listening today and simply spouting off the recommendation without understanding the rationale. Because if you're an executive, you may have to persuade your managers to manage this way. And it's not enough to use your role power and say, I want you to start doing one-on-ones. And, you know, you've got people from different parts of the world here. You need to use one-on-ones. And, and the manager goes, gee, that's not what I'm reading. That's not what I'm hearing. I, I don't understand. We want you to be able to make a case. Um, we want to make the case for you. And we want you to be able to make the case to others in your organization when you have managers working for you. And that's why sometimes these casts are longer so that you not only know what to do, but you know how to tell people why to do it that way. Yeah. And we have a lot of intelligent listeners listening to us. And, you know, they could disagree with us. Yeah. So it could happen. It's, yeah, so it's it's useful to know where we're coming from, and you can form your own opinion. I guess that would be intellectual diversity, wouldn't it? That would be yes. Yeah. So enough of intellectual diversity. Let's talk about cultural diversity and the danger associated with reducing folks to a series of anecdotal comparisons. And this right. happens way too much. Yeah. Let's debunk the conventional wisdom about cultural diversity in the workplace. I, I remember the first time I had a sense of the extent of the problem. It, it was a little kind of a creepy moment for me. I was working with a U.S. client. They were struggling with IT staffing issues. The real problem was managers unwilling to and not having the tools to forecast workload based on fluctuating demand from the internal clients of this company. But because they didn't really know that yet, they were trying to address the problem of, we don't have enough qualified people in IT in this area that we can hire from. Because of course, every other area of the company that they were hiring for, they hired people from this particular local area. I mean, a large city, right? And so there's plenty of resources for marketing and operations and so on, but not in the IT areas they were hiring for. And, you know, they had a demand spike for IT people because the budget was available to hire and they had, they had projects to get done and it took manpower. I happened to be in a meeting and there was a discussion about, you know, could we outsource to India? This was several years ago when that was, that trend was sweeping the, the, the U.S. anyway. And after the, we had some vocabulary arguments about outsourcing versus offshoring versus nearshoring and so on, somebody made a comment, you know, how good are we going to be at managing people from India. And somebody said, you know, they don't take decisions quickly. It's all consensus with them. And someone basically mistakenly attempted to agree to this slur by saying they won't tell you no, but rather they just, they tend to say yes to a too big deliverable and then later not deliver because they're uncomfortable with saying no. And I just kind of was thinking to myself, well, gee, I know people that don't behave that way who are Indian IT people. But regardless, it was one of those, the, the conversation happened pretty quickly. And then suddenly somebody said in this meeting, oh, and I've worked with them too. They smell bad. Oh, geez. Yeah. Now, I mean, to me, to me, the slippery slope happened long before. Yeah. But if you needed any evidence to suggest that you're at yeah. the very bottom of the slope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was the, the scree at the bottom of the slope. Yeah. I was actually ineffective for a moment. I, I attempted to diffuse what I thought. I thought everybody else would recognize what I was doing or that, that it clearly we had done something, something inappropriate had happened in the meeting. And I, I reminded everybody of Churchill. Churchill was asked, uh, Winston Churchill was asked by an American, when are you going to do something about the Indians? And the prime minister replied something to the effect of, to which nation do you refer? The wonderful people who under our benign rule are the most populous in the world or the Native American whom you have corralled and nearly caused to be extinct? <laughs> and nobody got it. And that was probably too intellectual. And I was, I was attempting to interject some humor and then get the meeting started again and then maybe be able to say enough. 
And there was really widespread agreement that these sort of cultural insights or instructive bon mots would, would, were helpful that, you know, th- this is the way you had to manage people who were very different than you. Now, admittedly, this company was fairly insular, but it wasn't two standard deviations from the mean. And frankly, those kinds of cultural biases or, or overgeneralizations or prejudices or stereotypes, frankly, are not helpful to good management and good managerial decision-making. Look, if, if you've ever been in an argument with somebody, frankly, if you've ever been in an argument with a kid, and you present data, you have some thoughtful analysis, and I'm talking data, I'm not talking anecdote, but data, you present some analysis and you have a reasoned conclusion, and then you hear a response that's based on one to two visceral, perhaps, personal anecdotes from the other person, and they have real conviction about it to the point where they want to dismiss, you know, they essentially want to dismiss your data because your data is flat, whereas there was real, there's, their anecdotes were real to them. Basically, I think that's an example of what passes for managerial cultural sensitivity today. Look, I, I, you know, I know those people. This is what happened to me a couple of times. So therefore, two samples of a 300 million or 500 million or a billion person population is, in fact, uh, you know, an effective sample. I have high confidence that this is, in fact, so. Uh, you know, okay, fine. The management thought industry took the idea of let's be respectful. And we made a fundamental mistake. You know, the industry doesn't really think or talk about the nitty gritty. We've had this conversation before, right? They don't talk about the day-to-day management problems that managers face. They talk about things that companies face. And frankly, I happen to believe that sometimes they do that because companies buy their services. And so they're speaking to companies. But of course, as we all know, you don't change a company by changing the company. You change a company by changing the behavior of the people in the company. You know, so if you're not looking at the day-to-day, it's probably reasonable to say, hey, how can we help managers in general understand how, in general, these new colleagues and associates of ours, French or Indian or Americans to European companies or whatever, how they are, in general, different than us? That's fine on its face, but it's still a form of labeling. Yeah, it, it really leads to you know prejudice. It's, it's a form of soft bigotry, in our opinion. Here's the, the meat of it, the bloody meat of it. This kind of generalization is of no help to an individual manager who is managing one American or one Japanese or one French woman. It's not. The only way you can justify this is if you want to go to a foreign country, become an expat, and say, please manage me based on what you know, Americans or French or Belgians or Russians or Georgians or uh, Nigerians are like. People immediately understand, gee, that doesn't seem right. And yet, we consume all these guidance, all this guidance about generalizations about people from different countries or, or age differences or gender differences or ethnic differences. And, and uh, we believe that the vast majority of managers out there have combined their interest in making their job easier with silver bullet type type thinking. And then you put that together with our lack of knowledge about cultural differences and, and knowing that we're going to come in contact with people who are different than us culturally. And we basically accept these anecdotes as proof of some sort of cultural difference. But, you know, we've said it before, there are no silver bullets in management because management is about people and people are complex and individualistic and demanding of respect and independently motivated and, and frankly, willing to communicate misleadingly about all this in many, many situations. Cultural anecdotes are not a professional approach to management unless you're willing to believe that, for instance, white U.S. managers carry some discrimination against African-American professionals or women are better collaborators than men, or men make better leaders than women in a crisis, 
or Germans make better machines than the British, or Americans are louder than the Dutch. And if all those sound potentially true to you, if there's some kernel that makes you go, well, maybe, let's admit what they're really saying is best said with the word all in front of them. All women are better collaborators than all men. All men make better leaders than women in a crisis. All white U.S. managers carry some discrimination against African-American professionals, right? And then it becomes patently false, right? But nobody puts the all in front of it because they don't want it to be a bias. And yet, essentially, that's what the suggestion is. Yeah, that's what they mean. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what they mean. They allow the inference to occur, which as a professional, as an adult, when you allow that to occur, you are essentially aiding and abetting it. You you essentially are communicating that, right? Because communication is what the listener does. And it boils down to we're suggesting that managers manage based on stereotypes rather than on the relationship with an actual individual. But what about the case where you've been in a situation or even several situations where actions support these biases? You saw it several times. Yeah. Okay. So you have some anecdotal evidence. It's not, it's not proof. It doesn't support a widespread prejudice or a stereotype laid across a hundred million other people whom you haven't met. And look, here's what happens. Somebody suggests they rise to the level of evidence, right? Basically what we're doing is we're just aggregating those anecdotes. It appears to be true, right? And again, that's, that's a form of, of soft bigotry and, um, it's incorrect. It's inaccurate. What's worse, e- even if you don't want to admit it's inaccurate, there's something far worse. It's morally wrong, <laughs> and it's yeah, and it's sure. time to stop. I agree. Okay, so let's talk about the Wendy curve because I, when you first shared this with me, I thought it was incredibly insightful. And the Wendy curve suggests that individual diversity trumps cultural aggregation. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So we've said what's wrong morally. Um, hopefully that carries some sting, um, <laughs> right? And the question is what's right and managing based on shared cultural anecdotes, uh, you know, and let me throw some more in here just to make this an interesting cast. Caucasians can't dance. Indians can't decide. Asians can't play hockey. Women can't lead. Men can't collaborate. Managing based on those kind of anecdotes, those kind of stereotypes is offensive, right? And, but, but here's the thing. Demographers know the answer. Demographers know this, and every single time they put out data, they, they say this, and here it is. Research that highlights differences between groups of all kinds, differences among racial groups, ethnic groups, gender groups, age-based groups, and so on. Research that highlights those differences between groups shows that the differences between individuals within those groups almost always exceeds the difference that is calculated between groups. This is a fact. All demographers know this. In the last year, Wendy and I uh, have been thinking about this cast, figuring out the right time to deliver it and making sure we felt good about making recommendations around it rather than just preaching what you're being told is wrong. Uh, we keep coming over across this over and over and over again. In various articles, we read about cultural differences or gender other differences or age differences. Although, to be fair, folks, age differences are much harder to characterize professionally because role power tends to change, at least in part, it related to age, right? As your age goes up, often your role power goes up. And so that tends to skew some of the age difference information. But there's always a mention of some statistically significant, though slight, very slight, difference difference between one group and another. And what's interesting about when, when I say it's statistically significant, people say, oh, well, if it's statistically significant, it's big. Oh, no. 
No, that doesn't, that's not true at all. It means that it surpasses the level of confidence, right? It means, it means that it's valid, but it could be very, a very small valid difference. But here's the thing. It, it says there's always a slight difference, right? I know that in many cases, if you, if you choose a certain culture and look at a specific skill, you can find a slight statistically different, statistically significant difference. There's many, many, many cultures where there's no difference at all. But in some cases, there are slight differences. But here's the thing. In every single report on some slide and some part of the report, and, you know, to be fair, though, not always in the executive summary, there is the windy curve statement, which basically says the differences between individuals within the groups almost always exceed those that are the difference between groups. So, you know, Wendy and I were talking about it and I said, look, we're going to call it the Wendy curve because Wendy is the one who really found it, made it clear to me. I, I have been talking about this for years. Don't manage your people based on where they're from or how old they are, right? You just wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to manage a top performer the same way you'd manage a bottom performer because they're both 25. That doesn't make sense to people. We knew that what we were reading from the cultural diversity industry was wrong. We knew that the anecdotal evidence didn't, the anecdotal stuff didn't hold up the evidentiary proof levels, right? There were never enough anecdotes. And here's the frustrating thing. When several people in a group agreed with somebody's anecdote about a different culture, you know, I'll tell you, there's some group thing. They don't want to disagree. And, and the last thing you want to do is call someone else a bigot. That's a, that's a pretty strong word. That's yeah, a strong word. Yeah. I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the U.S., that's, that can be the kiss of death. Certainly true in, in, in televised politics. There's an old saying, opposites attract, right? Everybody, everybody's heard that phrase, opposites attract, and romantically, opposites attract. Well, it's, complete, com- it's a complete falsehood. Right. The reason people say opposites track is because when they see opposites together, it stands out. You know, he's a biker and she's a corporate executive. I'm making that up. And you say, oh, look, see opposites track. No, no. They stand out because they're so different. You don't take any notice of what goes on every day, which is likes attract. But because we notice some cultural difference in us in a French female engineer or an Asian male marketing executive, I'm making those examples up, just putting together a series of vocabulary words, different skills, different locations, different genders. We notice it and we say, oh, that's evidence. It's not. It's just your brain noticing differences. Your brain seeks patterns, something that breaks with the pattern and your pattern is primarily your gender, your uh, specialty, your country, right? When you see something different, you notice it and you believe, oh, therefore those things go together. There's a post hoc or a propter hoc thing or a, you know, a cause and effect relationship that's simply wrong. Right. So your point though is the, that the opposites attract statement is very similar to some of the conversations or statements around cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that there is in fact, no difference in, in culture? No. Oh, no. There are some differences. Now, when I say there are some differences, people go, oh, see, he's agreeing with me. See, so yeah, I'm right. French engineers aren't as uh, quick with creative solutions as Nigerian engineers. And you're like, no, that's not necessarily what we're saying. Demographers say that many, many cultures are very, very similar to the point of being indistinguishable in certain skill distributions. But there are some differences. It's entirely possible that a Croatian marketer taking a test will show higher skills for strategic thinking than a Grecian marketer. I'm making those things up. Well, sure. I bet you I can find a Grecian marketer who's better than the Croatian marketer that you know. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's really 
the nut of it right there. So let, let me do this. Let, let me describe what the windy curve looks like. And this is going to take a minute because we don't have a visual, right? Um, hopefully, if you're if you're using premium content, you know, obviously you'll be able to look at the premium content. And we'll have a picture of the windy curve there for you. Basically, the windy curve looks like two bell curves, very very close together. Okay right? It's two normal distribution curves, bell curves, Gaussian curves, right? Side by side with only the slightest of offsets, okay? And, and folks, we're talking about the slightest of offsets. It, it's not two bells sitting next to each other where you can see both of them in profile, like two mountains with a valley between them, but it's as if one bell was made up of two almost virtually side-by-side, side, basically touching strands or lines, right? If one bell in your drawing is two inches across from one edge to the other, the distance between the tops of the two bells is, is a tenth or even a hundredth of an inch, right? It almost looks like for a brief moment you have double vision and then it goes back to a single. It's, it, it's very, very small. It's almost as if you drew a bell curve and then you try to trace the one you just drew and you were off by just a smidge, right? It's not two bells sitting next to each other. So if I drew the distribution of particular differences in skills across multiple cultures, so if I did Asia, maybe I haven't broken it down even more, Japan versus China, I have United States, I have Europe, or even more detailed, Germans versus Brits versus Spaniards, etc. It would just simply look like a bunch of bell curves looking almost identical and each one of them off slightly slightly from the highest to the lowest and and, and of course i'm probably overgeneralizing here but the distance between the peak of the the one that the bell curve is most to the right and the distance that between that peak and the one that's most to the left is still nearly trivial Nearly. If they're two inches from one into the other of each bell curve that you're putting down there, uh, the distance between the tops is a tenth of an inch at that, at most. Maybe, maybe, you know, a fifth of an inch. Rumor now, these things are two inches wide. Yeah. It, it almost looks like somebody's hand drawing those bell curves and over just, and makes, over and over and just has an unsteady hand and they're trying to make them identical, but they're not. Yeah. And you, what you end up with is you put every single subset into it, you end up with the world population rather than just all these independent subsets, these samples. And it looks like a very thick black line of one bell curve. Okay. So, so that's what the, the windy curve or curves look like. Well, right. What does it mean? What does, what does that mean relative to, to this discussion? Yeah. So again, what it means is that while there are differences between groups that are perhaps measurable, not every group, not all the time, but in some cases there are, those differences are rarely as important as the difference between any two individuals underneath one of those graphs. Again, imagine two, these two graphs that are essentially a smidge apart. The lines are traced almost in parallel with one another. There's almost no difference. Think of it this way. Those two curves essentially represent the spread, the distribution of the, the differences between any two subsets of the population when measuring any particular managerial skill. Let's say they represent Belgian collaboration skills versus all human collaboration, or Belgian versus American collaboration, or French strategic thinking versus Russian strategic thinking, or American communication versus Malaysian communication, or female leadership versus Indian leadership, or male sensitivity to others versus female sensitivity to others. Okay, so think of it that way and then say this. Let's suppose you were to first just have one graph up there, one bell curve. And it is a bell curve that represents a, a sample of the population about sensitivity to others. And we're going to call this male sensitivity to others. And I'm making up sensitivity to others. It's just what popped into my head, right? 
And so we've got this bell curve that is is representative of a some test which measures sensitivity to other people, however you would choose to measure that. And it's got everybody in the sample underneath there. And of course, there's a central tendency. The reason it's a bell curve, the big hump in the middle means most people are around some mid number, whatever that is. And underneath that graph, there's a dot. And that dot represents Robert's sensitivity to others. Now, there are thousands of Roberts and Terry's and Bob's and, and Bill's and Mark's and Mike's and, and Eldon's and, and Terry's and Tom's and Tim's that go into making this distribution, right? It's not just a curve. It's the area under the curve that represents every single data point in the sample that was taken, right? So, Bob, Robert is our individual male that made up part of the graph that he's in, sensitivity to others, male, right? Male's sensitivity to others. Now you take a second graph and, and you, you put it on a completely separate sheet of paper. It's drawn separately. And now this is sensitivity to others based on the female subset of the population you're looking at. And now we're going to plot Sarah's specific skill at sensitivity to others. And she's going to be a dot underneath her graph. I'm not saying where Robert is or where Sarah is. When we overlay those two graphs, so now we have both male and female sensitivity in two separate graphs on the same scale, they're very, very close together. You wouldn't be able to tell a great deal of difference. It would look like, again, like one graph drawn twice, the second time just off a little bit. You know, they're not three standard deviations apart from one another. And the important point here is that now we have two dots underneath each graph. It's incredibly highly likely that both of the dots could fit under each one of the graphs. In other words, Robert's no far, so far to the Robert's not so far to the left or Sarah's not so far to the right or vice versa that Sarah falls outside of the men's graph or Robert falls outside of the women's graph. And the point is that it is highly likely that the difference between Robert and Sarah's actual scores is greater. This is highly likely uh, statistically is greater than the difference between the closeness of the two lines that make up the representation of the graphs for male and female. So if we were looking at two graphs of some managerial skill across Americans and Belgians, for example, right, it's highly likely that the difference between two Americans on this skill is much greater than the difference between the mean of Belgians and Americans. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're right. And you take any two dots underneath the graphs randomly, and the, the, the chance is highly likely that those two dots will have a greater difference than the difference between the means and the two graphs. Yes. Now, the point we're making here is if you're going to choose how to manage a Belgian versus an American, it is folly to say, I'm going to go with the mean because the mean of Belgians is different than the mean of Americans. Because, you know, people are not the mean and that Belgian may in fact be much higher than the American mean. If the American mean is slightly higher than the Belgians, that particular Belgian may be notably higher than the American mean. And the American we're talking about may be lower, noticeably lower than the Belgian mean. Both of those people fit underneath the, each of their graphs and they make complete sense. But you're also right. Not only is there a difference between American and Belgian, right? A sample. There's also a, a greater difference between two Americans or two Belgians as yeah, well. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And look, one other thing I want to mention here, Wendy has uh, many, many contacts in Europe and Britain, and uh, we actually have a second representation that will be in premium content that is just a really fascinating graph, and we need to say thank you. Peter Humphreys, a vice president at SHL, a performance consulting firm in Britain that Wendy is familiar with, has provided it to us, and they've done some great work on workplace skills and demographics, and in the premium content of the show, there's going to be a great graph of many European countries' 
professional skills compared to one another. And rather than making them into, into bell curves, they've just basically put them in, in a line against the central tendency. And they're just showing you who's a little bit higher and who's a little bit lower. It's kind of hard to explain. It kind of looks like a scatter chart with a very clear trend. But the effect is overwhelmingly obvious, and the, the effect is simple. There are differences at times, and sometimes statistically significant differences, between countries in various managerial or professional or performance skills, and they are so slight as not to matter versus individual differences. Um, so for those of you with premium content, I encourage you to take a look at the, the, the show notes. They've been kind enough to let us use their graph, uh, and we appreciate Peter's willingness to do that. And... Also, if you, if, of course, if you're not have premium content, then we encourage you to sign up, but we try not to sell that too much. The bottom line here is there are differences between groups. There are, but it's a slight difference. But you know, it's funny. I, I want to interrupt you real quick. Yeah, you're right. And somebody's going to take out, there are differences between group that you and I said and said, see, it's right. And the fact is, <laughs> yes, there are differences, but it scares me to say that because people use that to drive a truck to that loophole. So right. sorry, right. You, you knew I was going to interrupt you, right? It just, I'm afraid any single thing we say is going to be taken out of context, but, but yeah. yes, there are differences. Yeah, but they're slight and group differences really don't matter when we're dealing with individuals. Right. That, that yeah. difference between two individuals is much greater than the difference between any two groups. Yeah. And look, it doesn't matter. You're not managing a group. If you're a white American male, technical background, unless you're willing to have any foreign manager or any female manager or any non-technical manager say to you, you're just a white male IT person. I manage all of you people the same. Unless you're willing to tolerate that. You got no business saying, I know how Indians behave. I know how Belgians behave. There's a difference. And that's what I do. I just, I just say to myself, I'm going to reduce my risk. I'm going to manage the Belgians a little bit differently. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to be engaged in what we think of as being kindness that for it really is soft bigotry until the tables are turned and you are managed as simply a member of a group rather than an individual and a soul at that. We're managing individuals and not groups. Right. So the implications of this are pretty clear. Manage the individual, not their cultural background. Yeah. Look, once you get the curve, it's easy, right? Yeah, there are differences, but they don't matter nearly as much as the individual skills of the person you're managing, right? So think of it this way. You, you, suppose you're managing an engineer from Georgia, okay? You know that, say, Georgians tend to have a high degree of respect for authority. I'm making that up, folks, Okay. So you have a tendency to rely on this and you give him lots of direct guidance. You don't really listen for his feedback or pay attention to his concerns because frankly, he's a Georgian and they respond well to, to dominance from bosses, right? They, they have a great deal of respect for authority. They believe in hierarchy. Again, this is made up folks. Don't write to me telling me I'm wrong about Georgians. I made it up. Okay. And then this guy goes and resigns and he tells HR, Hey, look, my boss never listened to me. He treated me like a child. He's always giving me orders. I really want to work in a collaborative environment. How safe are you going to feel? How defended are you going to feel? How strong a case are you going to feel you're making when you tell HR, well, I treated him the way I treat all Georgians. It just sounds wrong. It's just not, yeah. So you've got to manage the individual. And so that gets us to, okay, how? There's got to be an answer. Get to know each of your directs, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's no more complicated than that. Yeah. 
and look, you know, get to know your directs as individuals, regardless of what part of group, you know, what group they're part of, whether they're more or less collaborative than the average or more or less creative than the average. We got to find out what their individual collaborative skills are, what their individual creative skills are, and then we have to manage to those. And most managers don't want to do this. Most managers want to make it about the manager. And in fact, it's just like public speaking. It's never about the speaker. It's always about the audience. It's never about the manager. It's always about your directs, right? And in fact, in this part of the cast, we call this the Kate Horseman rule of the Windy Curve, right? And it's named after my daughter, Kate. Some of you have heard us mention her before. She graduated from Tulane University in New Orleans as a mechanical engineer in 2006. And she essentially graduated. She's part of the millennial generation, right? Uh, the trophy generation, the ones whom the business press say we have to coddle because they were pampered as kids. They were always given a trophy even when they lost, right? Well, look, I got to tell you something, folks. If you run across my daughter someday when you're, work- when you're working for her, <laughs> if you manage her like a millennial, she's likely going to outperform you, get promoted twice, and then help you become a good manager when she's your boss. Or eat you, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. The way to be successful with Kate is not to treat her like a millennial, but to treat her like Kate. And I'm not, I'm not saying I, I, you know, I'm not trying to defend Kate. I'm saying any millennial, if you start thinking that they're all the same, you'd be mistaken and you'd be applying a form of soft bigotry to Kate. And how do you do that with anybody? It means talking to your directs, learning who the he, she, he or she is, as opposed to what group they happen to be in. And how do you do that? Yeah, it's look, it's it's simple, and I we we could have a five hour cast on this, walking through all the details. As a matter of fact, we do have five hour cast. Yeah, we do. Walking we through we, all we the do on one on ones and disc profiles and so on. But look, the start is one on ones, and I don't have any problem flogging one on ones. You know, if it works, you know, dance with the horse that brung you. It's it's a or I'm sorry, dance with the one that brung you, or you know, ride the horse that got you there. You need to meet with them once a week, and we recommend Amanda Tools one on one to do that, right? Great managers always know their folks, and and one-on-ones are our recommended way of doing it. 30 minutes, once a week, regularly scheduled time so people have time to prepare, time for you to hear from the direct, and also have time to talk about what you need from them. Go to the forums, listen to the thousands of Manager Tools members who have started one-on-ones and say, oh my gosh, where? how did I miss this? I thought it would take a bunch of time. I didn't have the time, and now suddenly I've gotten more time back. My life is so much easier. Stress and drama and conflict have gone way down simply because I invest a little bit of time each week. Think about it, 50 hours. You miss a couple of weeks, it's 50 hours a year. What is that? Eight, eight hours a day. So that's six Six work days. It's a week, a year with each of your directs, not the end of the world. Uh, and you get big, big benefits for it. The second thing we recommend, and actually the second and third thing, is to provide disk profiles. And then we also recommend sharing your disk profiles with your folks. You know, disk profiles are really powerful. Mike and I are not in favor of easy, cheesy things. And yet disk continues to stand the test of time. Our effective communications conference is built on the core of disk detail and accuracy and essentially the quality of the insights it provides. Uh, you can get a disk profile, which takes about 30 minutes to do at our website, but frankly, you can get it on many other sites as well. You might pay a little more somewhere else, but that's fine. You don't have to come to us, but wherever you go, get it. And you could do it online again in 20 to 30 minutes. It's going to give you uncanny insight. And if you've never done it before, it'll creep you out how accurate it is. It's going to give you great insight into the communication preferences and work style preferences of your team, provided they share it with you. And if you take it yourself for the first time, you're simply going to shake your head and say, wow, that's me. And if you doubt that it's you, show it to a coworker and they'll say, yeah, that's you. (laughs) Even the bad parts, that's you. 
we all have strengths and weaknesses and the disc often pinpoints them quite egregiously for some of us, like the word manipulative in mine. So, and we have a series of casts, right? Podcasts on disc. Uh, we're not going to go into excruciating detail here, but if you want to get to know your individual directs, meeting with, with them regularly and understanding what their individual tendencies are, and, and you can understand their tendencies through the disc, that's going to give you what you need to communicate with them more effectively. And over and over and over again, what we've learned in years and years and years of coaching managers and executives is communication is usually the first thing that's broken and it's got to be fixed. And the way you get better at communicating is do more of it and make sure you're communicating in a way that makes sense to the person who's listening. And that means knowing how they communicate, which is what disc essentially tells you. Right. And like you said, then we recommend you share your disc profile with your team. You know, most yeah. everyone should probably figure this out by now. But if you're going to ask your directs to take a behavioral profile, the right thing to do is to share your profile with them. Right. Right. And so they'll get better at communicating with you and your knowledge of their work and communication styles will make you a better manager of every individual on your team. Yeah, I've said this before many, many places. Um, the, the greatest use of disc I ever saw was a manager who had a rude awakening about his style and it essentially proved what everybody thought about him. And he didn't want to admit, although probably in his heart of hearts, he knew it. And he posted it on the wall outside his office and said, look, this is this is how I like to be communicated to. Why not use it? If you want something from me, study this and then talk to me in a way that makes sense to me. And people started doing it and they got better results. We're like, wow, I'll do it for myself. Uh, and that kind of candor, it's not perceived as weakness, folks. It's perceived as real strength. It's perceived as ego strength and, and, and character to say, hey, look, I, you know, I've got some foibles. I'm not perfect. And when you communicate with me, I prefer you go fast or slow. I prefer it written. You know, I, I think we said in our cast about learning to, know, you know, learning to work with your boss. You should find out whether your boss is a reader or a listener, right? Well, the disc profile will tell you that. You'll, you'll know whether or not to send an email with attachments or whether to send them a very, very short email or just pop your head in the, do in the door. Exactly. Very powerful. So wrapping up, and by the way, I've got to finish that story that we started up. And when I realized I had not done my job and not made my point, I took a little bit different tack. I had better success. I, I basically said, look, folks, cultural differences are irrelevant because we don't hire cultures. We hire people. We hire individuals. Yes, the person we hire comes from a culture. And so, yes, the culture, in a sense, comes with them. But the solution to that is to hire the best person for the job, to compare the person to the job. You consider technical and professional and people skills. And people skills are include, you know, cultural things, make a difference in those things. And then, and here's what's important. And then after you hire the best person, expect managers to do their darn jobs and get to know their employees as individuals based on that individual's behavior and performance rather than their culture. So look, don't listen to those who tell us that we should manage based on cultural differences. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're pushing a respect agenda, how nice to cloak it in that word, that essentially says all African-Americans or all women or all Indians or all Belgians or all surfers or all 25-year-olds are basically the same. And that's always wrong, other than the fact that they're moral, you know, they're morally good and they have a soul, right? This is the best part of diversity to say each individual has something to offer and getting to know that individual is better than labeling them with some group tendency, right? Organizations might have to consider the differences in aggregate of the people they're recruiting, right? And that's fine. But when you're a manager, you're not managing that aggregate. You're not managing the overall culture. We're managing individuals. And the Windy Curve tells us that differences between individuals are far greater than the differences between cultural group aggregates. 
Let's not manage all women the same or all Mexican-Americans the same or all over 50 employees the same. Let's honor the individual. Get to know them through one-on-ones and, and a behavioral instrument like DISC or some other one that you can trust. Share where you're coming from as an individual by sharing your profile and by communicating, communicating, communicating. And that, that's it. That's the way to do it. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, partner. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hope to see you back here again next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.